Welcome, everyone, to the Preacher's Podcast for the third Sunday after Epiphany. The theme for this season, we're still uncovered, um, where we're looking at God's ways being beyond our understanding. And so his works, his will, they can't be discovered by us. They need to be uncovered for us, revealed to us. Uh, the theme for this specific day is uh, reception uncovered, rejection uncovered. I'm sorry, that rejection is not the exception, but the rule. This commentary on the proper for year C, uh, which is where we got this worship plan from, John Bauer is really careful to draw a connection between the weeks. So be sure you look at that plan because both this week and next week are Luke chapter four, which talk about Jesus' gospel ministry efforts. Next week, we see those efforts end with visible success, but this week it's visible rejection. So the promo text and the evangelism materials for this week, they drive home the reality uh, that the word of God is more often met with apathy or rejection than with joyful reception, that it's normal for God's word to offend human hearts and minds, and, and that would include our own. Our participants today are, once again, Pastor John Borman of Peace in Aiken, Pastor Tim Borman of Sure Foundation in New York, and Dr. Alan Soren from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. I'm John Hine from Wells Congregational Services. John B., I'm going to start with you. Uh, um, so I just mentioned how guys in the worship plan can see how the themes interrelate, interrelate from Sunday to Sunday. Can you summarize what we're hoping God's people take home with them this specific Sunday? Well, I want to reiterate, I think that the hopefully everybody has in their hands and you've looked at the write-up that's there. I think maybe what I can do just for um, just for a minute is maybe bring a little bit more sensitivity to the lectionary because there is an interesting tension in the lectionary on on this on the Isaiah 61 side of the lectionary you have this um, this prophecy that uh, the people of God are going to wear these garments of praise that so the anointed Messiah is going to come and they're going to be transformed their lives are going to be transformed by the messianic work and that uh, people are going to be full of praise as a result of that. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful, powerful, powerful um, Asianic text. And um, so, uh, John, like when you introduced this, you, you kind of had like a little Freudian slip with rejection and reception. And I was like, <laughs> yes, because you do have that tension here. There's, there's, there's reception um, and, and there's this praise that comes connected with the baptism of Jesus and, and the beginning of, of his messianic work. But then you have the other side of the lectionary, which is Acts 4, um, which is the rejection, a clear rejection. And the church is suffering from this. They go into a posture of prayer um, and then they are um, shaken by the Holy Spirit um, in their rejection so it's, it's like master, like servant, or, you know, um, the servants suffer the fate of the master. We are rejected. The world hated Jesus. The world's going to hate us. That kind of thing on that side of the lectionary. But what ties it together is Luke 4. And that's what we're going to be spending our time today. Like on the front end of the text, you have people who are amazed. Um, you have people who are um, responding to this anointed Jesus and, and his gracious words. Um, and then on the back end of the text, you have this stunning story. And, and Luke, uh, Luke is so, you know, delicately narrates this for us. 
And um, so what we have here is, is the reception of a real, authentic, anointed, messianic uh, Jesus that Luke is having us consider. And, and yeah, it, the lectionary does push us and, and the write-up does push us, especially to consider the, the rejection that comes attached with that. Hey, kind of uh, set up my next question. Um, you mentioned, you know, that we're in Luke, which is the first time in this uncovered series um, that we've uh, chosen the gospel lesson to be the focus. Um, Tim, how do you think that that text from Luke 4 helps drive home this theme of the day? Yeah, thanks for that. And I just, I wanted to highlight a, a few things about, about this lesson and, and how it really kind of connect, builds up to our, our theme. But the first thing I wanted to point out is that I think uh, with this new hymnal and and there there were some small changes that were made to the lectionary and this is one of them and I, I would want to highlight that this is a good change that um, in our old lectionary the lesson for this particular Sunday um, ended right at verse 21 so Jesus comes you know comes out and says I am fulfilling these words of Isaiah and then that's it. Uh, and we, you never really get a chance to see Jesus in a, in a connected kind of way, driven. And there's this new Greek word there. Um, and he's thrown off this cliff. But so I wanted to just highlight that, that we're, we're kind of being pushed there with Jesus to the edge of this cliff. And we want to we wanna think about how he gets there. But um, just kind of building on where why are we in this lesson and what is the theme? I wanted to kind of look at Luke's program and just kind of start pulling from the beginning. We have all these sacred songs um, where the, the, the higher made low and the lower made hide in like, in like Mary's song. And Luke is going to be picking up on these, on these themes here in this lesson again, where, where Jesus is going to bring this message to the poor. And Jesus' baptism in, Luke, in, in the Gospel of Luke is different. It's, it's, it's more of a private baptism, although it was done in public. And the words from the Father are spoken to Jesus instead of to the crowd. So it's not yet this super, super public thing like it is for Matthew. And then Luke, I, I think, and someone correct me if I'm wrong, takes this particular narrative out of chronological order and front loads it in the Gospel of Luke where Matthew has it, like in Matthew 12, I think it is. And then Luke kind of puts it and says, now this is how I want to reveal Jesus to you. And we're going to do it in Nazareth. He's going to proclaim his Messiahship. And then the reception of that, which is where we've been going, is passionate, you know, and, and I want to, we'll talk about like how we can preach that. But the Greek word there is passionate. It's very passionate. In fact, I wonder if Nazareth ever had an event like this again or before. I've actually never seen this kind of lynching before, but here it is. And there is a response to the word. Um, and, and, you, and we all need to think about that. Like, why, why did that happen? And, and what does that mean for us? What does it even mean for our own hearts? So these are, this is kind of the theme of the day to explore those things. 
Well, you guys both touched on something that I'm hoping that guys now having gone through a couple of seasons of the updated uh, hymnal lectionary have picked up on is one is that the hymnal committee tried to really interconnect the lessons tightly and they connected it around one theme, hence the, the expansion of the gospel lesson, as you mentioned, to really drive home. Okay, this is fulfilled in your hearing and then here's how the people of his hometown responded to it. Uh, um, good doctor, let's go to you. Uh, um, hopefully the guys have done their, their tech study. Do you have any just an initial thoughts about uh, anything about the text that that jump out on jump out at you uh, hermeneutically? I, I have uh, more thoughts than we have time for, John. There's a surprise for you. <laughs> <clears throat> this this is an iconic text for the liberationists. Uh, Gutierrez in South America. I see John nodding his head. You know, like he can he can do this text in Spanish. I bet. But for Gutierrez and and even up to the current day, I was just checking uh, um, some interesting, very recent writings from liberationists, how they still come to this text uh, with a materialistic, secularistic perspective on the kingdom of God. They're turning Jesus into a do-gooder. They're turning Jesus into uh, Abraham Lincoln uh, and proclamation of uh, emancipation. <clears throat> they've turned this text into literally a freedom for the captives as in physical liberty, um, a, a physical healing. So all of the promises from the perspective of a liberationist is how, how do you preach the gospel to somebody who's sick or oppressed uh, or, or somebody who's marginalized or somebody who has no money? So for like, for 60 years now, uh, people who want this text to talk about justice uh, make it their, their sedes doctrina, their most important text, that, to prove that Jesus is all about justice. Well, what if that's the message? Well, Jesus was a total failure if that's the message. If you look at his own people, if Jesus brought the kingdom of God, which is concerned about justice and healing and kindness, um, then it, his people never achieved that. And within a generation of Jesus' departure to glory in heaven, the Romans crushed Israel out of existence. So I, I just want to point out without, you know, turning it into a song that this text is in terms of the broader church militant, it's quite often misinterpreted and, and wants to turn Jesus into a, a physical savior to make life fairer on earth. And it's just not a very good text to accomplish that. All right, so like what's a better hermeneutical approach? Uh, what is the message? Um, we wouldn't want to limit the concept of the kingdom of God to just spiritual blessing because, you know, Jesus says, how do you know the kingdoms among you? Well, demons are being driven out. That's how you know the kingdom of God is among you. And, and what did Jesus do in Galilee? Uh, he went to every town and village, Jewish and Gentile alike, proclaiming the kingdom of God, meaning he healed every disease. He helped every sickness. 
he was con concerned about people's um, being hungry. But that wasn't his only concern. It wasn't his primary concern. When the disciples wanted to trap him in Galilee and force him to address the gathering crowds and, and, and maybe themselves scoop up on a little bit of that popularity and status, uh, Jesus said, um, let's go somewhere else. I'm not into monuments. I'm not into success markers. I'm into preaching the gospel, proclaiming the gospel. Because that's why I, I came. So uh, one, one we, critically important way to understand this text appropriately is to look at Jesus' function in the kingdom. He's a preacher of it. He's a proclaimer of it. He proclaims God's love and help and support to people. Um, he's, he's not digging boreholes. Um, nothing wrong with digging boreholes, but that wasn't Jesus' function in coming to this earth. It wasn't his function to feed 5,000 people with a, a couple loaves and fishes. Um, that, that wasn't his concern, his primary concern. His primary concern was to give people water, but it was that water of which you would drink and you would never ever be thirsty again. So the, the primary focus on the proclamation, here's, here's a Greek word for you, especially in Luke, aphesis. Uh, the forgiveness of sins, the, the removal of sins to the poor, not just the poor who, who don't have any jingle jangle in their pocket, but who are broken and poor in spirit and contrite and, and, and without hope or God in the world. Jesus comes to them and proclaims the kingdom of God. God's coming to help you in however you need help, but in the way especially you need help the most of all, and that is to, to rescue your soul. Um, I, I want to point out, too, uh, uh, Timothy touched on this, is the relationship of this text to Isaiah. Isaiah 61 is the closest, um, you know, like if you were going to say, Jesus and Luke were quoting Old Testament, you know, to say Isaiah 61, that's a pretty close. But if you would allow this language, please, Luke and Jesus are riffing on the servant songs in the heart and core of the greatest, clearest, most beautiful gospel in all of Scripture, not just the Old Testament, but the clearest, most beautiful gospel in the servant songs in Isaiah. So, I think uh, as preachers, we want to go to the servant songs in 45 and 49 and 50, you know, 51 to 53 and listen to those servant songs. They're so clearly referenced in this brief text that Jesus busts out, this, this brief midrash, if you will. So, so what is he doing? He's touching on a number of some of the most familiar messianic themes in all of the Old Testament scriptures. And he's saying to those people in front of him, I'm this Messiah. Deal with it. It was in your face. I am the fulfillment of this. Every one of these rich, multi-layered, incredibly gorgeous servant songs. Uh, I'm the one who the song was sung for and about 
and I'm the one singing it because I'm the deluxe promised, finally anticipated, here I am, servant of the Lord. Now, also in those servant songs, there's a prophecy of rejection, like you guys were talking about. There's a prophecy of rejection. So, so what, what does Jesus say? He said, you know, there sure were a lot of Jewish widows in the world, but what widow did Elijah go to? Catch me? There sure were a lot of Jewish lepers in the world. But what leper did Elijah go to? You catch me? So now look at, look at this text as Luke and Jesus look back to the Old Testament. But Luke and Paul, the apostle to the what now? Luke and Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, they, they had to have been close, close friends because they were together on the missionary journeys. They, they, they stayed close until the very end. How many sermons to Gentiles do you think Luke, over his career, heard? And, and what a gorgeous choosing. Uh, you know, what, Luke and Jesus together, uh, the way Luke told his story of Jesus more precisely, he's, he's tipping his hat early. Uh, Theophilus, as, as a Greek cat, uh, you might be kind of interested in this Jesus fellow, and I'm going to let you know very early in this gospel that he came for people just like you. He came for all nations and all people, and the only upside to the Jews rejecting Jesus was, hey, we Gentiles get the crumbs that drop off the children's table. And you know what? I'm pretty happy with those crumbs, and I know you are too. So this is this is uh, an incredible text, right smack dab in the middle of the Old Testament, and Paul, the great missionary of the New Testament, um, showing us Jesus, the ultimate familiar of that wonderful servant, proclaimed by Luke and Paul to the Gentiles, to their great joy and happiness, and a little piece of Paul's motivation was hopefully I can make my Jewish brothers a wee bit jealous. So they'll listen to this preaching too. And thanks for that, Alan. I've, I've never heard the connection between verses 24 and 27 in connection with uh, verses 28 and 29 made that, that clearly that, that what they're furious about is I never thought about that, that he's referencing how, how the old Testament prophets went to people outside of Israel um, that's, that's, uh, that's excellent. Uh, so let's, let's get a little bit into uh, ways to handle the text. John, why don't I, I begin with you as, as you've perused this, you have any initial thoughts on uh, how you might handle the preaching of this text? Well, many. I, so, whoa, I, I want to start here. And th there's going to be some guys who maybe want to say on the front end of the text, and I think that's a legitimate choice. Um, if you want to state, I think the historic lectionary, we, we talked about that, has you kind of staying on the front end of the text and really dealing with that, that the, the servant song material in there. And you, you could approach this text sort of like Johann Gerhardt um, would preach sermons, just say, there's a lot here. And this is what I want to talk about today. We're going to kind of stay on the front end of the text. And that might be a legitimate choice, especially if um, you don't pick up those servant songs, say, 
in the season of Advent, I think it comes up in year B um, if you don't handle um, some of those Isaiah texts there. This would be um, a great chance to do it. And so maybe I could come at it like this. Um, the malady, if you did, if you stayed on the front of the text, then the malady would be, um, and this is where I would encourage people not to do what I think of as cheap law. There's some cheap law, which is you could say, you know, Jesus, Jesus preached um, to these poor people. They didn't want to be told that they're poor. And so they, you know, we get upset. Nobody wants to be told they're poor that, you know, that kind of, that kind of preaching. I think, I think with this text, that's, that's, that's a cheap approach to it. And I think we can do a little bit better. Um, I, I think if you, if you want to dive into this malady a little bit deeper, um, taking this approach is the despair that Isaiah was preaching to, um, it was the problem. The problem was that these people, you know, if you tell these people they, they, they're poor in spirit, they'll tell you, I know, I, I'm, I'm poor. And what, what they're afraid of, what they're despairing of, is that they'll ever be rich, that they'll ever be rich in Jesus. And see, when, when you're there, when you're in that kind of despair, what happens is you stay in Babylon, you know, and to use that metaphor, you, you stay in Babylon and you, you, don't, you don't push forward in your life of sanctification. You don't come home into the kingdom of God. You don't fight sin. And you just give in to the idols of Babylon, sex and money. That's what you do. You just say, whatever. There's no praise in your heart. There's no joy from the spirit. And that, that I think, is an important sermon. If you, if you go that way, then man alive, isn't that just an amazing opportunity? Talk about an enfleshed gospel. You just have people, you stand Jesus in front of, I love Luke's language here. He's so delicate. It's written so beautifully. Um, he like, he, it's almost like you're watching this movie and he freeze frames it. Everybody's just staring at Jesus. You know, he's in Luke, he's on, you know, he's unrolling the scroll. I just love this. And here's this, here's our Messiah. He's entered our world. He's, he's bringing us joy. He's releasing the prisoners. You get into the, all that textual language and you can even put some, what I like to think of gospel we on it. Cause not only does um, Jesus come in and announce this is who he is, but he also announces the time. He time stamps this and he says, this is the year, you know, it's, it's happening right now. And there's a lot of Old Testament imagery attached to that. But I think that's, um, that would be a very fun and very important sermon to preach right there, just to receive Jesus in your despair. And, and if you want to do that rejection theme, don't reject it. You know, don't reject it in your despair. Rise out of your despair. That's one possible approach. I don't think it's the one I'm, I'm going to take, but I, I think it's, how's <laughs> that? I slammed my own sermon idea, but I, I think that's a valid approach to this. Yeah, Tim, what about, what's your, what's your thoughts about initial thoughts and how to handle it? Yeah, I mean, I think I would, in order to, I always try to cover the whole text if I can, unless there's some kind of urgent, you know, ecclesiological reason, local reason for narrowing down a text. And so one of the things that I was thinking about was like, how can we preach this text in, in its totality and really get to that theme and help us thinking about 
this, how are we receiving? Um, how is Jesus being received? And so one of the things, Karl Barth, I, I hate admitting this because he's, he's sort of anathema in many ways, but he got, he got his craw in me. And he, he, he made a comment about preaching that I think might be applicable here. <laughs> and he said, um, I don't need introductions when there's so much tension in the world. And so I wonder, because everyone's like, what's he going to possibly say that's going to make us feel better? <laughs> you know. So Karl Barth would dis dispense with introductions. And Jesus does too. I, you know, if we want to take a homiletical cue from, from, from Jesus, he, he doesn't need a trite introduction, does he? He just, it, like we, we got his introduction in front of us. We don't have anything else besides that. But we've got his introduction in verse 21. And he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And um, I, that's kind of how I want to start off with my sermon is bring people with, with the language into that moment and just really preach out the kingdom of God, you know, and, and start with the news. You know, Jesus has come and with, with everything that he's going to do, that he's promising to do here. And it's primarily spiritual, like we said, but it's not just spiritual. Like we're, we're, we're moving into this messianic age and this coming kingdom with him. And our hopes are super high. And not that I want to like uh, leave that behind too quickly. I really don't. But in order to get to the rest of the text, um, there's a there's a really interesting place to pause and get get into some malady then in verse 22 and this is so interesting I, I think verse 22 is kind of the hinge for all of this where um, all of it things are going really well and there's an exegetical question at the beginning of verse 22 where where it talks about it uses the word testify it, it's either a data of advantage or data of a disadvantage. And one translation that kind of footnotes both of those would be the HS, uh, HCSB. They're either, they're either um, saying nice things about them, that would be the date of advantage, or they're testifying against him. And that's another possibility that commentators and exegetes take. I, I kind of think it's a day of advantage, like people are impressed, they're they're talking about his his amazing and gracious words that that are coming from their lips, but somehow and and this is really one of the questions. I think there's maybe three or four possibilities. They all of a sudden are starting to um, they ask this incredible question: Isn't this Joseph's son? And and this is a question that um, you know why are they asking this question? And, and Matthew and Mark also report. This, the same question. Um, this is just pure speculation, but some people think that they're saying this because they're accusing Jesus of not saving Joseph. Like a lot of people have said, Joseph's gone, he's off the scene, maybe he's dead. And now they're just calling him out straight out. Um, isn't this Joseph's son? And isn't his grave sort of like, you know, right over there? <laughs> And if you say that you're bringing the kingdom, why is your own father dead? So that that's just speculation. Uh, we don't know. Another another thing that I think might be happening here is that they're trying to ground Jesus. They're they're one one commentator said that 
they're domesticating Jesus. And I, I kind of like that phrase because um, they're really trying to put Jesus into a, Joseph's home. So they're, they're, they're domesticating him. They're, they're cutting off his legs. These are some of the ways that you can talk about it. But no matter what they're doing here, um, this is an attack on Jesus' personhood, like who he is, and also his mission. They're trying to bring him down. And this is where we can get into some law then, like, and, and talk about these odd hominem attacks that we make on preachers. So if you're talking about the receptivity of the word, this would be a good chance to, to just pause and ask people the question, how many sermons have died in the narthex? You know, how many? And they just say, um, isn't that the pastor who, you know, uh, and, it's, and then next comes the ad hominem attack, right? Isn't this the guy who, and, and then all of a sudden, what, and, and one of the doctrinal points that you can bring out here is, is grieving, grieving the Holy Spirit. Like you've, you're stomping on the good work that has just begun. And Jesus, you know, he, it, it, after you kind of go into that, you could go into the next section, talk about Jesus. He's just going to keep going. Nothing's going to stop him. His love, his persistence for people. He's, he's going to turn to the scriptures. Um, and, and you notice the depth that he has of his understanding of scriptures. And then I, I would pause again and to talk about the receptivity of the word and of the Messiah um, on verse 28. And, I just think this is so incredible to see that like this, this chaotic mob scene unfold. I've never seen a thing like this in my entire life that Luke says that they were, you know, my NAMV says they're furious. The Greek word is, is they're passionate. Like Themis, I think is, is the word there. And I keep asking myself like, what's going on there? Um, and one of the ways that we can reflect on this, because I, I actually love the fact that they had a, a very strong reaction to the word of God. I, I actually think that's, in, it's the wrong one, we, we would say. But isn't it worse? And this is one of the questions I want to ask people. Wouldn't it be worse if our reaction to the word was just indifference? And a Holocaust survivor, I, I really like his writings, named Eli Weasel, and he's, he's often quoted on this very point. He said, the opposite of love isn't hate, but indifference. So in other words, when, and we need to turn this on people and help them to think about their receptivity of Jesus. Like, how do you respond to this? You know, are is it nothing to you? You know, Jesus presents himself to the Messiah. Is your heart leaping? Are you totally rejecting him? You know, um, what's it going to be? And then you come back to it, and this is where you get so much gospel, I think, is you got to see Jesus, his power. I think, I think you lean on um, that, that he walked right through the crowd. It's ironic, isn't it? They wanted a miracle. Um, he gives them a miracle. <laughs> I love that. But where is he going? You know, where, where is he going? You're not stopping me. Nobody's stopping me until I get all the way to the cross. 
and and this is where you 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 remind people about where Jesus is going, but also you remind them of their mission too. Like uh, at that point, you might go back to the beginning of the text again, and and you say, Jesus, this is good news. He he's going to keep pushing on you, and your stubborn heart, um, and he's never going to give up on you until you understand not only that you are poor, but that in him you're rich. And, um, you know, I guess that those that I've been talking for a while, but those I kind of wanted to give an idea of like how we could move through the text and, and kind of interrupt it with some thoughts of law and gospel. I wonder if, so in the, in the rejection part, those, those last verses, I mean, kind of what, the the summary of the day is, is getting at is that it's completely natural um it's normal that people reject what god says and and that continues even in the person who's been been converted i'm just thinking you know as i'm trying to explain this to the person in the pew um they might not relate to this because they're like well i wouldn't have rejected jesus as the coming messiah okay but how many portions of god's word do you reject and, and that we all you know, we wrestle with. I, I've heard a million preachers make this application, but um, you know we go through you know God's word and we say, well, I like this teaching. I'm not so fond of that one. If we would have a God where everything He said to us, we would be like, oh, that's 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 fantastic. I mean, there's something that's that's off. That He's the Spirit's constantly moving us around along, and our sinful nature is constantly pushing back. And, you know, whether it's, I mean, the obvious examples, like I disagree with what God's word says about fellowship principles, or I disagree because I'm in a rough marriage with what God's word says about divorce right now. That is the normal state of, of mankind is we just push back against everything God's. We'd like to pick and choose. I'm glad Jesus is my savior, but everything else um, I'd like to. So the, the, the condition of the people listening to Jesus is our condition as well. It's just we don't have the opportunity to throw them off a cliff. Let me add to that, please, John. Yeah, please. It's perfectly normal to reject Jesus. But if you look at what follows this text, it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever that you would. Now, what, what I mean by that is <clears throat> Jesus makes it very clear by his referencing uh, Isaiah and the core of the gospel and that he's the servant of the Lord, he's the Messiah. What what's follows just in the rest of chapter four and chapter five, well, here he is driving out demons. Here he is healing. Here he is calling disciples to help him with the preaching of the gospel, which is why he came. Um, Every, everything that happens in chapter 4, the rest of chapter 4 and chapter 5, shouts, Jesus said he was bringing the kingdom of God. Now watch Jesus prove that he is the one bringing the kingdom of God. You cannot, you can't reject the testimony of your eyes and your ears. It doesn't make sense. So though I would really subscribe to your uh, your thesis that it's normal to reject God, Jesus, grace, good work, uh, God's good heart, not good works, of course, but God's good heart. That, that's normal, but it is, it, it's not logical because it requires a fundamental rejection of objective truth that Jesus demonstrated 
He is that Messiah. He does bring the kingdom of God. He is near. Repent. And today when you hear his voice, don't harden your, don't harden your heart. Um, receive, accept, trust, believe in, in this Jesus. It's, uh, <clears throat> it's like Luke saying, um, I, I'm going to draw a line here in the sand that you can't escape. You cannot escape this. I'm going to make it so clear to you that Jesus is the Messiah. Now you can accept the testimony of the Old Testament scriptures, accept the testimony of your eyeballs, accept the testimony of what you hear, uh, or reject all of that and deny Jesus. Yeah, just that whole thing we talk about, you know, what our eyes have seen. Granted, it's eyes of faith, but you think of these listeners and, and they say this is this is the carpenter's son. So they have this like small body of information by which to assess him, whereas we're in a much better boat by saying, okay, we know that this guy was crucified and rose again um, as far as validation of, of his claims. Um, yeah, other, uh, other thoughts. Jonathan, what about... Uh, a specific gospel. You kind of touched on the specific malady of this text, specific uh, gospel in terms of this test, either John or Tim, whoever wants to run with it. Well, I think, whoa, um, this, this text, I mean, tee it up. One of the things you have to do is you have to tee it up in parallel with the end of Luke's gospel. Cause you got an angry crowd. Jesus gets rejected and here he almost gets murdered but then he does get murdered and the grace in that the love in that that he he did not finally he does not walk away from our sin and our anger he takes it on himself and he receives it in his own body and he dies for it i mean it's whoa i mean when when you think about those parallels and how luke teased that up for us here um, it, it's remarkable. And you can, so you can work some textual language there with the crowd, um, with this miraculous um, um, Houdini, Jesus, <laughs> you know, and all of a sudden you, you not only have the crucifixion, but you have the resurrection. And it's, um, it's beautiful. It's beautiful when you think about the, the rejection that Jesus received on our behalf at the end of the gospel, which is, of course, what he's pursuing right here and right now. So, so that, that gospel and is, uh, I, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I can't wait to talk about it on Sunday. It's powerful. You, you tie that in with what we were talking about with the uh, servant chapters of Isaiah, which is always to me, but what is one of the big mysteries of the, uh, the Christ's humiliation is like, how does, when does, he, when does it like click um, as he's studying scriptures? Oh, this is, this is who I am. And this is uh, how exactly does that, does that work? And that, that he realizes certainly by this time, Oh, my entire ministry ultimately is characterized by rejection. And he starts telling, telling his disciples, this is what the son of man has to do, suffer many things, uh, uh, be rejected and be killed. Um, and, and I love the way you contrasted it, John, that here he's rejected, but his time to die hasn't come. So he uses his power to escape what could have happened, which means that on Good Friday, he could have done the exact same thing, used his power to escape what would have happened. And he, he didn't, because that's ultimately what he came to pay is to do is pay all the times that we've rejected him uh, the same way these people did. 
And if I could, if just allowed me, like as a preacher, um, one of the things that's that's really true is um, when you tell stories, story time, and, and this is true in, in, in contemporary communication, story time is a different kind of time. So when when you tell a story, you can people live that experience. And so I think it's really important to help people experience this story. Um, tell, tell this, I think, I think we have every right, tell the story of the, you know, I can, the, the pitchfork gazes, the, um, the, the hardened faces of, of, of the men and the women, the, the jostle of bodies. Like, I, I mean, I, I can, I can put myself there. I, I can even remember like, um, when I, when I went to, to Nazareth, I, 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 I got the Lord gave me the chance to actually go to the Holy Land. I remember looking down the cliff. It's 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 a, that we think Jesus they might have pushed him toward. It's an interesting cliff in that it's not straight down. Um, the violence of Jesus going down was that he, his body would have been mutilated as it basically rolled down at an uncontrolled speed, hundreds and hundreds of feet below. And and you know there's you just think about that like what Jesus ultimately goes goes through on the cross for us um, in his rejection. I, I, man, his love, his grace. He is, he is the coming of the kingdom of God. He is grace for the poor. You know, the one thing you talk about the gospel too, and this is another little bit of speculation, but it is worth thinking about, like, and just to give a little illustration on this, like if Stephen Motz is a local hometown baseball player, if if he's if he's playing his first baseball game, his whole family's there at City Field here in New York City, and here Jesus says he's he's going to preach in Nazareth. I'm just wondering because it's his custom. Is his family there? Um, and what do what do his brothers do? I keep thinking about James, you know, and and Jude, and we're told in John that they did not believe in him and the grace that there is that I, I do think that some of these people in Nazareth came to faith later and they're like, what did we almost do? You know? And, uh, but Jesus didn't turn them away. He died for him. And there, there's, there is grace in that. He's like, I'll, I'll go over there. To the, and there's so many parables about this that Jesus is going to pick up on this. Like, I'll go by the byways. I'll go find the poor. It's, this is going out, people. Um, don't miss the train, though. Don't miss it. Oh, we're getting pretty close to time for, for final thoughts. Um, Professor Sorum, you got any final thoughts on uh, how you might handle this text? I kind of showed my hand. Uh, I, I love the concept of the kingdom of God as presented, um, let's say, especially in Mark, where you come full force with the, not only the power of Jesus, but the compassion of Jesus and the universality of the love of Jesus and, and how compelling then that passage in Matthew, uh, seek first um, Jesus, seek first the gospel of Jesus, or if you prefer, 
seek first the kingdom of God, which is a little harder for us to get our head around, but I can get my head around, seek first Jesus, everything else will be added unto you. Uh, everything else will be in its proper perspective. John or Tim? Or have you said everything you got You got to say? <laughs> Maybe, Maybe if you, I do have a couple other illustrations, like just if, if we're going down this path about reception and rejection of the word, like what do you, you know, just, I heard another preacher do this, but are you going to church to get lollipops? You know, don't go in there and be ready to be offended, you know, in, in a certain way. Be ready to be challenged. Be ready to have your sin pointed out and be ready to have Jesus on full display, his love, his power for you. Um, or think about it like going to the doctor. If the doctor never, and again, I stole this from someone else, but if the doctor never told you um, that you're sick, you know, what kind of a doctor would you have then? <laughs> so just, I, I think there's, there's some arguments that we can bring to the people to help them get ready to know how to receive the word and to receive Jesus. Yeah, and they're, they're coming to receive bad news and like uh, they're going to hear news that offends them. And like uh, Professor Sorum said, even though that, that, that's not, it's not logical, um, that's, the nat that's our sinful nature. Our sinful nature is not like a logical, well, <laughs> old Adam does not, he's just, uh, he's the most illogical guy there is. Um, and yet the good news is because we have this, this old Adam and we're going to push back against parts of God's word. Jesus came knowing that would be the case, even among his elect that we'd struggle with it. And he died to pay for all the times we've rejected any teaching of his word, him about the Messiah or lesser teachings as well. Um, he's, he's washed us clean of that all. Jonathan, you got any final thoughts or have you said, said what you got to say? I got, I got one last thing and I'm going to do this, try to try to do this real quick. I, I think there's a, there's a, there's a Jesus you should that that people like but they shouldn't like in this text and that's the front end and so the nazarenes are i i think that they're they're liking this jesus that they're saying i think probably and i don't have enough time to, to get into what i think the exegesis of this is but just to um i think they're trying to control him to get him to do miracles i think that that, that we have a special interest jesus on our hands here <laughs> And I think um, there's, if, if people want to get into that, I think that's a really big problem in our culture today. And, it's, and I'll bet it's sitting inside of our people and in our own hearts, even as pastors. There's a book um, um, by Stephen Prothero called American Jesus that, and he just kind of, he's a religious um, history guy. And he just talks about the, all the different Jesuses that are out there, all these different special interests, Jesus, how we shape and mold Jesus, how we want him to be. And I think that's, that's a possible um, preaching attack, malady, good thing to think about. And then on the back half of this text, there's a Jesus we hate that we shouldn't hate. And we've already talked about him um, quite extensively. That's that whole rejection theme is we need Jesus to be our Lord, but we don't want him to be our Lord. Our sinful nature really fights that. Um, and so what, what you end up doing if you preach that sermon is you end up saying, here's the real authentic Jesus who's bringing the kingdom of God. And like, um, like Alan said, I love that. Repent, turn to him, and be saved in his name. I love that.
Well, thank you, brothers. Once again, it was enlightening, and I pray it gives uh, our brothers in the ministry some fodder as they're working on their sermon this week. Um, look forward to meeting, talking with you again next week when we pick it up in the last part of Luke chapter 4.